An artist in Peoria, Illinois is asked to help beautify the neighborhood. Little did he know he was about to paint his way into a mystery. And then we travel to Nigeria to cover one of the most brutal cults we have ever covered on this show. Is it possible that there is a gang of serial killers in Nigeria that are using black magic to elude the authorities? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I'm actually recording this episode right after yesterday's episode. Because this weekend, I'm going to house sit. That's what my vacation is. I'm going to go house sit and I'm going to go wrestle a cat. My friend has a kitty cat. I'm going to play with it. That's not a euphemism. It's an actual cat. I'm going to house sit and wrestle around with a cat. Now, by the time you're listening to this episode, the house sitting adventure will be over. I'll be covered in scratch marks. But I will have had lots of fun, and I'm going to do a bunch of reading and get a bunch of stuff done for this show. Speaking of wrestling cats, here comes one of our legacy Patreons, Greg. Gregory. Get attacked by a bunch of cats. Oh, he, he he's doing good. He's petting them now. They're calming down. I don't know. He could be deadly allergic to cats. He may hate cats, for all I know. But I do know, Greg, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. You can't support the Patreon. I totally understand. Just help spread the word about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. Tell your cats, and they will tell the other cats in the neighborhood, listen to Dead Rabbit Radio. They all sound like Betty Boop. You didn't know that? <laughs> That's why you don't have a cat. Greg, I'm going to toss you some coal. For the Carpenter Caboose, we are going to take a little train ride out to... Peoria, Illinois. Chugga, 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 choo, choo. We're all dressed up like cats. I can't wait, dude. It's been so long since I've had some cat time. Totally gonna wrestle him. I hope that he just doesn't leave because he's an outdoor cat. I'm gonna be sitting there all alone. Aww. And then, like, he just comes in, eats some food, and I'm like, you wanna play? And he runs away again. Oh, I'm be, I'll, I'll, I'll adopt some raccoons if that's the case. But, I'm afraid I'm gonna get rejected by a cat. Let's not worry about that. Everyone on the train's like, dude. What are you talking about? doesn't matter. Just keeping that train going. We're headed to Peoria, Illinois. It's November 2020, so fairly recent story. And I wanted to give a shout-out to Ratchu. They're the one who pointed out this story to me, so really, really appreciate that. It's Peoria, Illinois. It's November 2020. There's a local artist in town. His name is Joshua Hawkins. One day he's sitting there just sketching stuff. I assume artists do nothing but draw all the time. Someone's like, hey, it's time for dinner. He's like, shh, I'm drawing, shh gets a phone call he draws himself a phone answers it apparently he lives in toontown joshua hawkins what do you need it's a local businessman named nate and he's like hey listen my name's nate i have this building in town and has just this brick wall which i don't have a problem with bricks i'm big i'm a big fan of pink floyd but i feel like it could be a little more beautified you know what i mean you know what i mean so i would like to commission you to do some work i'd like you to paint the side of my building joshua's like that's cool Now, Nate, we don't know the exact amount, but according to Joshua, he was offered the biggest commission he's ever been offered as an artist. He goes, this is more money than I've ever been paid for artists. It was actually so much money, I was able to hire a crew to get this job done quickly. But Nate goes, tell you what, I'll pay you 50% up front, I'll pay you 50% when it's done, and I'm going to provide all the paint. I will buy all the paint for you. Joshua's like, oh, this is a dream come true. He's given a design of what the side of the building is going to look like. So Joshua didn't have totally free reign. He's given a sketch. It's a, it's a, So this is a massive build. It's, not, it's like maybe a one-story building, but still, that's pretty big. That's what, like 10, 12 feet. So it's this giant mural, and it's a picture of the skyline of Peoria, Illinois. And then standing over the skyline like Godzilla 
is Cookie Monster from Sesame Street. Me want cookie. And he's holding a cookie and it's shooting a rainbow out across the city. And then underneath in acrylic, in Russian, it says, Peace, Earth, Cookies. Which is a play on an old Lenin poster, Peace, Land, and Bread. So, Peace, Earth, Cookies. It's just a giant sketch of Cookie Monster. And it's in like a Soviet style. It looks like a Soviet propaganda. So, Joshua's like, oh, this, this looks totally dope, actually. This looks like a really cool design. It seems like it'd be really fun. It's a conversation piece at the very least. He hires a crew, they go out there, they paint it. And you gotta worry about stuff when you're doing art like this out in public. They actually coat it in an anti-graffiti coating. So some jerk can't come up and just go, cookies suck, and spray on it. It's built to stand the test of time. It really is a work of art. They get it done before Thanksgiving. I can just imagine Joshua and his crew are standing back and they're looking at this mural and they're just like, freeze frame. The credits start rolling. It's the end of an adventure. They drew something that was going to be the talk of the town for years to come. Well, it was the talk of the town a couple days later when Nate came back from Thanksgiving. Nate Comte is the owner of the building. And he 100% did not authorize this painting to be done. He was away visiting family members. And someone impersonated him and got someone to draw a 12-foot-tall cookie monster Soviet painting on the side of Nate's building. Nate Comte, the actual owner of the building, was furious. Yeah, I can just imagine him. Here's the sequel to the movie. He gets out of the cab. He's like, ah, sweet Peoria air. And then he's just like, I'm going to slowly turn around and look at that building I own. He's holding his two suitcases, turns around, <gasps> drops the suitcases, freeze frame. You wonder how I got here. Well, we know how you got here, Nate. You got scammed. Somebody pretended to be him. Committed identity theft to <laughs> Someone paid a giant cookie monster on his building. First, he was going to have Joshua charged with vandalism, but he dropped that. He goes, listen, I don't blame you because someone impersonated me, but I'm painting over it. And people got really upset about it because it had already been there for a couple of days. It was the talk of the town. He paints over it. He paints over it white. And he's looking for Nate. Now it's like another movie. Now it's like Face Off. Nate versus Nate. He's looking for him. But he painted it over white, He actually, and people got really mad at him, and he goes, listen, I'm not the villain, this was my building, I don't want a giant cookie monster on it, but tell you what, I will hold a poll, so you know where this is going, I'm going to hold a poll, and the community can vote on what mural they want up on my building, of course, the number one people were voting for was giant Soviet cookie monster, so he removed that, and then <laughs> someone submitted a sketch of, you know how they have those Japanese paintings, those beautiful Japanese paintings of like the waves? They did that, but it was Cookie Monster as a wave and a bunch of cookies flying in his mouth. So, and I'll put those in the show notes. You really should look at the other options. He's like, no. He's like, yet. None of, none of that. I don't, want, I don't want Cookie Monster on my building. It'd be hilarious if it was a cookie store. It's not. It's just a building. It's, I don't even know what it's being used for. Then to add another weird crinkle in it, a Twitter account, at Art Terrorism, has come forward and said they haven't declared themselves as Nate. And as the time of this recording, there's only like 89 followers for this account. It's pretty new. They haven't announced themselves at Nate, but they said, here's the original sketch, and I'm auctioning it off. And we'll give the money to like, I think it was St. Jude's charity, and then the other half went to like an artist collective or something like that. It was a Bitcoin-only auction. Everything was super anonymous, but they were auctioning off the... And they did. They sold it, and the guy's like, here's a bunch of money. 
headed to St. Jude's. A wholesome conspiracy, a mystery that doesn't involve any sort of murder or catastrophe. I mean, unless unless you hate Cookie Monster. It's just the story of a man impersonating another man to get a third man to paint on the second man's building. So it still is a bizarre mystery. No one knows who this is. No one knows if more pranks are going to pop up, but there was one that actually preceded this. There was a local politician who died in 2013, and at Nate Comte's business, this was before Cookie Monster, someone keeps putting up campaign signs for this dead politician. And that's, <laughs> that was irritating Nate enough. There was actually an early article, and he's like, yeah, I don't know who's doing this, but it's a mystery. And then <laughs> a couple months later, Giant Cookie Monster shows up. So someone might be targeting him specifically. Someone may just like that plot of land. We won't know until the identity of Nate is revealed. Some people are calling him the Midwest Banksy, which is a little self-indulgent. He's calling himself that. He's like, hey, I got a scoop for you, editor. I'm a new reporter, and he has a big fake mustache. It's a big blue furry fake mustache. Greg, let's go ahead and leave behind Peoria, Illinois, and leave behind that wholesome mystery, because we're headed out to someplace far, far crazier. I wanted to highlight kind of a goofy conspiracy to start us off, because where we're headed is someplace brutal. This next story is going to be really brutal. So call in that Carpenter Copter, Greg. We're all climbing on board. We're giving Cookie Monster a good old pet, eating some cookies. We're headed out to Nigeria. As we're out there, I wanted to give you guys a Dead Rabbit Recommends. I've actually been... Who is it? Yeah, what's up? Yeah? Okay, had to take a little break there. Landlord was making some repairs, so we're a couple hours later. The reason why I'm saying that is, one, the audio quality may change. Secondly, in that interim, I ate Thai food. It has nothing to do with the podcast. This is episode 600. I didn't realize that until I was... Moving some files around. Six. You know how many episodes of The Simpsons there are? 639. Man, we've almost caught up to The Simpsons. We'll be caught up to The Simpsons by the end of the season. And guys, the show would not exist without you. So these 600 episodes aren't mine. They're ours. Really, really appreciate your support. But we left off. I was about to mention a Dead Rabbit Recommends as Greg is flying the carpenter copter off to Nigeria. This is a nice little palate cleanser for... The story we're about to cover is super dark, just to prepare you guys. It might be the most brutal cult we've ever covered. I I would say it absolutely is the most brutal cult we've ever covered. But before we get there, before we get there let's talk about a movie called Come Play. It's the movie, you know, I saw the trailer for it. It looked really, really cheesy. It looked, and it is like a straight-to-DVD movie or straight-to-streaming movie, but it is excellent it's called come play it's about a young autistic boy who's severely autistic he can't talk he communicates through a tablet so he can make noises but he has this tablet that he's always so he's like i want water that he's not saying that the tablet is so he has these little symbols but he's trying to go to school he's trying to be a boy in society he gets picked on a lot and stuff like that and then the tablet a spooky book appears on the tablet one day called, like, The Tale of Freddy the Friendless Fiend or something like that. 
And as you read the pages of the book on the tablet, Freddy the Fiend, that's not a sexual name, but Freddy the Fiend is one step closer to coming into the real world. It's basically the Babadook, but far superior. Babadook had style going forward, but really didn't have substance. This movie has both. And this movie has one of the things I really like with modern horror movies. They're forgetting the jump scares. We're moving away from jump scares. They have what I call action set pieces or horror set pieces. There's maybe five or six pieces, set pieces in this movie that if you removed from them and released it as a short film, it would be totally effective. The one criticism I'm going to give it is they give the autistic boy a nickname, a very, very cruel nickname, and they do it so early in the movie, and they call him this nickname throughout the movie. I don't even remember the character's name. I just know him as Moner Boner. Because the whole movie, there's this bully who's one of the best actors in the movie, and he looks like he's seen some stuff. He does a really good job. He actually looks like he could be, he could have been in Dunkirk, just that look in his eyes. But he calls this kid Moner Boner, the whole time, because all he does is moan. And by the end of the movie, I was like, Moner Boner, no! Run, look out, Freddy's right behind you! I don't remember the guy's name. I just remember him as Moner Boner. So, a tip to you budding you budding writers out there, don't come up with a funny nickname and use it all the time. Don't do that. <laughs> now just forever remember him as Moner Boner. The movies come play, the trailer is in the show notes. The trailer doesn't really give anything away. The plot's pretty thin, but it is a great, fun horror movie. Dead Rabbit recommends Come Play. Greg, you are now bringing us past the blockbuster section of the world. It's just the last remaining blockbuster video. And we are entering Nigerian airspace. It's a dark night. It's one in the morning. And a man is driving his SUV down the road. Gets a flat tire. That's going to suck anywhere. But where he's getting the flat tire and the time period he's getting the flat tire, it's going to make things even worse. This man's name is Paul Chinidu. He's a comedian. He's a local comedian. He goes by the name MC Think Twice. But he has a flat tire now. He sees another car coming. He flags him down. He's like, guys, guys, listen, can you help me? My, I got a flat tire. And they're like, hey, aren't you MC Think Twice? He's like, yeah, yeah, I am that man. I'm so glad that you recognize me. Tire's flat. Can you guys help me fix this tire? So as they're trying to fix this tire, late at night, on the outskirts of this small town in Nigeria, they begin to see other cars approaching them. Let's go back a year. It's 2016. And in Nigeria, a serial killer is loose. But not only a serial killer. This man is terrorizing entire towns. In Ikorodu, Nigeria you have multiple families wiped out. A man will break into a house, completely unseen, smash the heads open of anybody there. He'll rape the women, and then write, I am Badu, on the door before he leaves. In the year 2016, multiple murders happen exactly this way. When the police show up, they can tell that the blood of the victims seems to be smeared around with a handkerchief of some sort, which makes them think there is a ritual involved in this. If their head is bashed in, they can see the telltale signs of a handkerchief being run through the blood. If the victim is raped, 
the handkerchief is used to soak up the blood from the genitals as well. The police cannot find this serial killer. Until June 5th, 2016, they arrest the man. He had just raped and murdered a 27-year-old woman next to her nine-month-old child and then killed the child as well. When the police arrest this man, they ask, Who are you? He responds, I am Badu. Then, things get a hundred times worse. The murders escalate by astronomical numbers. They spill out of the city of Ikorudu and envelop entire swaths of Nigeria. It wasn't a serial killer. It was a group known as the Badu Boys. Same modus operandi. Completely random. They break into your house. And they take a stone rod, this stone handle that you use to crush the grain. That's their weapon of choice. Which makes sense because a lot of houses have these things in them. But that is the weapon they use. They break into a house completely unheard and use these grinding stones to bash people's heads open. They will walk into a house with five people and slaughter them all in their sleep. People begin gathering in churches, sleeping in churches where they would be safe. They would break into the church, rape and murder and annihilate. Nothing could stop these guys. Of course, the people begin to believe that they must have some sort of mystical powers. They're obviously performing some sort of ritual with the handkerchiefs. But you can't catch them. It took so long just to catch the one guy who they thought was Badu. But he turns out he was just a member of this group. One night, they scaled a wall of a church, broke into it. In the church were two women and their children. They murdered the two women, murdered the two children, swept up their blood with the handkerchief, broke into another church down the road, and stole people's money and phones. Talk about survivor's guilt on that one, right? Like, could you imagine surviving in the other church? You'd be grateful that that's all that happened, but you would know that it could have easily been reversed. Between June 16th and September 2019, this is still an active group. I was looking at a report created by the Justice Department where they had to... This this is such a big issue in Nigeria that it's an international issue. Nigeria has actually tried using their troops to flush these guys out. But the United States Justice Department actually had to create this huge report. And they reported between June 2016 and September 2019, there was 19 attacks by the Badu boys. You go, 19 attacks? It's not... I mean, that's horrible that they've broken to 19 homes. Those 19 attacks added up to 47 murders. Some houses they would break in, just murder one person. I saw several reports of families of five or more all slaughtered in one night. Completely random. They're still out there. They're doing these huge dragnets, but nobody's actually getting charged with these murders. No matter how many people they seem to scoop up, The Badu boys themselves are getting away scot-free. So we know where this story's going. It really branches off into two directions. One, you have people believing that 
the politicians and the chief of police are in on the killings. That the people who are sworn to protect them are actually part of the serial killer conspiracy. Very, very interesting conspiracy theory. That's where we still have those conspiracy theories today. The Queen of England's a reptilian. You have, you know, members of the government in the United States involved in all sorts of creepy, disgusting stuff. That's, that's every, I think every population has their own conspiracy theory about their government. So that doesn't seem odd that they're like, well, if you can't catch them, you must be part of the problem. But there are other people who aren't content in just making up conspiracy theories. These Badu boys are slaughtering families at random, and they've been doing it unchecked for three years. That's when the vigilanteism begins. Paul Chinidu, he's a comedian. His stage name was MC Think Twice. His car broke down on the way home from a gig, and he was able to flag down another car to help him repair his tire. But while they were waiting, some vigilantes showed up. Now, Paul isn't a member of the Badu Boys. The two people who stopped to help him most likely weren't members of the Badu Boys. But the vigilantes were wondering why these three people were out in the middle of nowhere at one in the morning. Even though they could point to the fact, look, there's a flat tire. These guys just happened to be driving by and needed their help. Fear had overtaken Nigeria to such a point that these three men were killed on the spot, and then their bodies were burned. Within one month, vigilantes had killed 10 innocent people. They thought they were guilty. But after they were killed, it came out they were most likely not members of the Badu Boys. Within one month, 10 innocent people were killed in the search for this gang, and a gang that is so tied up in chaos magic. Music to their ears. So the government's response to all of this tells its citizens, well, first off, you should always carry your state ID card on you because you never know when the vigilantes are going to show up. That was honestly a statement made to the press. We cannot control the madness. You can be killed in your own home by the Badu boys, or you can be killed on the streets by a vigilante group. Now, We can't control what either of those groups do. So carry your ID on you at all time. So if the vigilantes show up, you can prove you are who you say you are. I mean, the Badu boys would have state ID too, right? But that was one of the things the government was using to try to at least stop the vigilanteism. And and they are against that. They're like, you just can't go around killing people. Another thing was really interesting. I was reading this report, this news article. They said... The police need to go beyond conventional tactics to deal with this. Now, in Nigeria, they have a big problem, obviously, with the Badu boys. They've been in operation for three years. They also have people who will um, siphon gas out of gas lines. That's been an issue in Mexico recently as well, where you siphon gas out of gas lines, you sell them on the black market, where they will have to use troops. They'll have to use aircraft to go after these guys, helicopters. They'll move troops into the areas. They'll have shootouts all over the outskirts trying to stop these gas thieves. And then you also have the Badu boys running around. But the Badu boys aren't so obvious where they're making a militarized stand somewhere. But one thing that they do, which again points to their ritual nature, and we'll get more into that in a second, but you'll find shrines. You may make a wrong turn in your town, walk down an abandoned street, You see in the corner a shrine for the Badu boys. It may be outside of town. It may be in the wilderness, hidden. 
A place where the Badu boys have their shrine. The shrines get destroyed when they see them, but they can't find the members themselves. Any other thing that you would think this was all made up, you would go, it's like a boogeyman, right? We've never found, we've never like found a dead shape-shifting reptilian. So when people talk about shape-shifting reptilians, most people just kind of roll their eyes because it's like a boogeyman. But these guys are actively committing these crimes. It's not something that people are like, oh no, my penis is gone. It must be the Badu boys. Like these guys actually have a criminal record. These murders are taking place and we know why they're taking place. So it's not like someone stumbling across weird sticks bound together like the Blair Witch and going, it must be the Badu boys. They know the crimes are taking place. They know the organization exists. Governments are trying to stop them. And they're finding these shrines. So you have all of this evidence set up. It's not a weird conspiracy. These people exist. One, this group is actually murdering people, but people are also giving them occult powers. They're saying they can't be stopped. They can appear into your house. They can control you. They have mind control. That's how they're able to kill everyone in the family. No one's fighting back. Apparently, there was a witness. There was a young boy who was there. His grandmother was killed and he was blinded. That was actually one of the early, early attacks back in 2016. His grandmother's head was smashed open. He was 10 years old. He was blinded. But he described the assailant as being a naked man who came in. So that even adds a more savage and scary element to it. So we can assume, I mean, that guy might have just not worn his clothes that day, but I'm, that may be a thing, maybe part of the ritual. But you, I keep talking about the ritual. Whether or not they have magical powers, we are a paranormal show, so we sometimes will give a little bit of more credence to the fact that they have magical powers. But that's the theory, theory in Nigeria, is they do have the ability to enter and exit undetected. There's no barrier that can stop them. They can control your mind. There's no way around these guys. When they target your family, it's done. Now, we've covered cults before. Just recently, we covered the cult in Kirtland, Ohio, talking about the apocalypse. We, the Ant Hill Gang, they talk about the apocalypse. We've covered, and then they're famous ones like Jonestown and all this stuff. They're always talking about the apocalypse. What are these guys' endgame? They've killed 47 people in three years, and that is the people they kill in the houses. They do find bodies every so often in the wilderness, and they think, this could be a Badu boy slaughter. But as far as they can tell, 47 murders in three years, why are they doing this? Is it to summon some sort of evil god? Is it because they worship death? It is the main reason why anyone does anything. Greed. See, what they do is they smash your head open or rape you, and then they use this white handkerchief to soak up the blood from the violence. It has to be the head and the genitals. If you just stack, cut their arm off, that doesn't work. It has to be from the brain and the head or the genital area after it's been damaged. They then sell that rag for $2,000. If So what, what did they make? So let's round it up to 50 people. Let's just say 50 people. So what would that be? That would be they would have made... That turns out I've had a break on a calculator for that one. Turns out to be $100,000 over the course of three years. The average wage in Nigeria actually isn't that terrible. It turn, comes out, the average monthly wage is about $850 a month. So that actually is a lot of money to me. But I'm, I'm poor. I'm always poor. So that might be super low to you. But any, anyways, um, regardless of how much the normal amount is for someone in Nigeria, $100,000 doesn't seem like a ton of money when it involves slaughtering 47 people. And sure, you could probably add a little bit more. I'm not going to go into the math. But the point is, is that that's what the 
inspiration behind these crimes are is just money. They're using these rags and they're selling them. But then the question goes, who are they selling them to? And this brings us back around to how these guys aren't getting caught. A rag soaked in the blood of a murder victim is sold to wizards, local wizards, who use them to cast spells for fortune and power. So if the people using those spells are rich and powerful, heads of state, politicians, heads of the police department, they got there because of black magic, are they going to go all out to find the source of the magic that keeps them in power? That's what the people of Nigeria are arguing. You're in power because you have access to this magic. So you're not going to stop the Badu boys. You want them to continue so you can continue your reign at the top. Now, I'm not accusing the politicians of Nigeria of that or the head of police or anything like that, but that is the thought process over there. You're powerful because these guys did this, so you're not going to stop them so you can keep being powerful. This is one of those stories where I found that government document saying this is what's happening, and that goes up to late 2019, early 2020s, when that document ends. Then you can find articles about the Badu Boys. The year things really spiked, which was 2017. 2016, 2017 was the worst years for that. There's not a lot of articles written about them nowadays. But the government is still very, very cautious. They haven't written these guys off yet. I've talked about this on the show, the most frightening conclusion. When I was a kid, not me being a kid's a frightening conclusion, when I was a kid, big Marvel comic fan, and one of my, hands down, my favorite comic crossover series, forget Secret War, forget Age of Ultron, Civil War, it was a series of comic books called Acts of Vengeance, where the supervillains get together and they decide, wait a second, what if Doctor Doom fought Ghost Rider? What if Electro fought Daredevil? The villains all decide to just fight random superheroes that they've never fought before to keep them off their toes. It's a really, really good series. It'll never be translated into film because you needed 100 villains to do this. So Doctor Strange fought Hobgoblin. Spider-Man fought Magneto. It was really a great crossover series. And that always has stuck in my head. Acts of Vengeance. This group is in this area. They have a modus operandi. They break into the house. They slaughter people. They use the exact same weapon. They use the rag. They smear up the blood. They sell the rag. They do it again. But in this country, everyone knows the tricks. The police know what to look for. You have vigilantes and the military trying to hunt these guys down. Do you stop making money? Do you keep doing it in that area and hope you don't get caught in the ever-shrinking net? Or do you pack up and move? Because the London police don't know about this. The Australian police don't know about this. The police in Albuquerque don't know about this. And even though there's a Justice Department article out there talking about this, I had to find it. And not every cop can read every document that's ever printed about every crime. You move to an area where they don't know the modus operandi. You have Skid Row, where over the course of a year, eight homeless people get their head bashed in. 
The cops are going to be looking for a serial killer if they even notice them missing at all. In New York, one hot summer, a couple prostitutes go missing. In Perth, Australia, they find the body of a hiker. They think he had an unfortunate accident at the bottom of a cliff. In London, they pull a body out of the Thames River. Then another one. A couple months later, another one. Serial killers have a geographical area that they operate in, and we know that, and that's part of their modus operandi. You can look for that area because that's their area of comfort. But the serial killers who are truck drivers, who are crisscrossing the country, that's their area of comfort, the entire country. That's why they're so hard to kill. If it's not a guy who owns a print shop during the day and he kills co-eds at night, the whole world is his stalking grounds. And if you're a serial killer and a serial rapist whose organizational goals is to make money, the world is your stalking ground. If you thought these guys were hard to catch when they were allegedly in bed with local government, imagine how hard they would be to catch when they are selling their wares to global leaders. Gaining power is hard. Holding on to that power is near impossible. There's just too many other people trying to knock you off the throne. And you will do whatever it takes to have an edge in holding on to that power. Even if that edge results in other people suffering. It is the nature of power. So have the Badu boys closed up shop in Nigeria? Have they reduced their kill output? Have several of them been arrested, but nobody actually knows that those were Badu boys? Have they suffered at the hands of intergroup warfare? Have they just died off? Or are they no longer so active in Nigeria because they have gone global? A true international trade at this point. We can only hope that the story of the Badu boys is over. And that my idea that they have gone global is just a scary story. But either way, make sure you lock your doors extra tight tonight. There may be a group out there who will stop at nothing to make some money even if it means killing you and everyone you love. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Peace.